Hello, you're back in Book Lounge with Gloucester Book Club and I'm Christina Young and in tonight's episode we're going to be talking about a book we read recently with Gloucester Book Club and it's called Flamingo by Rachel Elliott and it was longlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction in 2022 and tonight on the couch I'm joined by Zoe and James. I hope you enjoy. garden there were three flamingos. Not real flamingos but real emblems, real gateways to a time when life was impossibly good. They were mascots, symbols of hope, something for a boy to confide in. First there were the flamingos and then there were two families, Sherry and Leslie and their daughters Ray and Pauline and Eve and her son Daniel. Sherry loves her husband, Leslie. She also loves Eve. It couldn't have been a happier summer. But then Eve left and everything went grey. Now Daniel is all grown up and broken. And when he turns up at Sherry's door, it's almost as if they've all come home again. But there's still one missing. Where is Eve? And what exactly is her story? Flamingo is a novel about the power of love, welcome and acceptance. It's a celebration of kindness, of tenderness. Set in 2018 and the 80s, it's a song for the broken-hearted and the big-hearted and is ultimately a novel grown from gratitude and a book full of wild hope. Just to forewarn you, before you dive into our discussion, there may be one or two spoilers. Well, it's lovely to have you back, Zoe and James, on the um, Book Lounge couch yet again this evening. We're here to talk about Flamingo. So this is a book that we read really recently with our book club. So it should be fresh in both of your minds. So, James, can you tell us and the listeners out there, what is this book about? It's a book about a mother and her son, and we don't really find out until the book develops a bit, but she's kind of been on the run her whole life with her son, not really settling down anywhere. And um, she's obviously quite happy with that. And they move in next door to a family um, and everything just gels. It completely clicks and they're as happy as anything. Of course, things then gradually fall apart and I better not tell you what happens at the end it's quite a happy ending it reminded me of her first book uh, which was called whispers through a megaphone um, Mm. in in that you get a lot of insecurity uh, within certain people they're they're sort of I don't know sleeping rough or just being on their own or not quite sure what's going on or not having any money all these kind of things and then suddenly they, they find somebody who um, makes them feel a lot better. And it just so happens that that somebody has been looking for someone just like them as well. And it seems to be a kind of theme of Rachel's work to me, is this wonderful coming together of two insecure people. It's heartwarming. It's a great book, really. I mean, it, there's nothing epic about it. But um, I don't think everyone expects to get a book that they're going to feel epic about. Um, I really enjoyed it. 
Good. I, I agree with you. I love the way that her stories are always populated by these characters who don't seem to quite neatly fit into mainstream society. They're they're always a little bit quirky. They're always a little bit off. Um, Zoe, you've yeah. read it. What did you think about it? Did you love it? Yeah, so this was my first uh, Rachel Elliott book. I've never come across her as a writer before. Um, I found her work comparable to Sarah Winman. I know um, we've read the uh, Tin Man in Gloucester Book Club before. Um, and just the way that she makes the ordinary, the everyday, the mundane, extraordinary, um, and the familial connections, not just blood family, but also chosen family, adopted family, as you say, groups of people that come together that are on the margins of society society sort of learning to revalue and, and look at themselves in a different way through human connection um, so it was very heartwarming and it took me a little while to get into it I would say the character of Daniel I wasn't quite sure what was going on with him at first and his um, homelessness situation um, but once we delve um, into the backstory of his family and what happened with the meeting of these two neighbours um, back in the 80s and it became a lot more interested and I couldn't put it down. Her writing also reminds me of Gail Honeyman. I don't know if you remember with Book Club we read Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. Mm -hmm. So it kind of reminds me a bit of that style of writing as well. Okay let's go to the title of the book which is Flamingo and there are three flamingos actually in the book. Are they symbolic of anything? Why is she called this book Flamingo? Is there a character that is the flamingo? What do you think, James? You can't really uh, be too sure. Right at the beginning, the, yeah, there are three flamingos on the front lawn of this house that they move. And one assumes that that must be the flamingo reference. But as the book goes on, I don't know, you begin to think, no, it's three flamingos and this is just called Flamingo. Mm -hmm. And I looked mm -hmm. up Flamingo on Google. What is the significance of Flamingo at this point? And it says all kinds of positive stuff, you know, I can't remember, but just things like good and happy and things like that. And I thought, mm -hmm. well, that's not of use. And then I suddenly remembered that um, Man for in Man hit from the 1960s, Pretty Flamingo. <laughs> And that exactly is what it means, really. I mean, there's loads of things. You, can, It's not pink. It's someone who stands out from the crowd. Um, mm. and I don't know. One of the weird things about this book is that Rachel never actually describes any character. You know, the first time, usually in a book, where a character is introduced to you, you get this description, how tall they are, their careworn face, their swept back hair or whatever, you know. But there's no description at all of anybody in this book. It's like she doesn't really care what people look like. And then mm. you think, well, I don't actually know who's good looking in this book. If someone's a flamingo, there had to be a flamingo in the book. I would plump for the main character who's called Eve. But there's no evidence that she stands out from a crowd other than what she does. I mean, she seems to have no trouble getting together with people. And so you wonder, maybe maybe she's good looking. She does lead this nomadic almost life. And that maybe is a, is a kind of a flamingo lifestyle, very solitary. She never stands on one leg, which of course is another thing. <laughs> no. And she's not pink. The second character who's called Sherry, the, the author always tells us she's wearing loads of makeup. So one could say, well, she's the flamingo, I don't know. I mean, you could go on and on about it. It might have just been chucked in by the publishers just to try and make people think like this. But I would say the character Eve, what did you all think? 
Oh, I don't know. I completely disagree. I think, yes, we don't have physical descriptions of the character, but given what happens or, you know, I don't think it's it's too much of a, of a spoiler to say that uh, Eve certainly feels attracted to Sherry and, and vice versa. There's a lot of collective nouns in these books because um, Eve is obsessed with them. And uh, yes. one of the first things she says when she meets Sherry is, oh, the, the collective noun for flamingo is a flamboyance of flamingos. Yes. And for me, it's just one of those really subtle signs, I think, that number one, not only is Sherry somebody who's really out of the ordinary, who's an eccentric character, who likes to cause a stir and a drama and likes to be the centre of attention in this very messy kind of house, um, but also that she's somebody who's potentially interested in same-sex relationships to me it's it's a it's a big flag of this is something that can be seen as perhaps quite campy quite uh lgbt friendly and so for me the flamingo really represents that possibility at a time when being gay was not criminalized but still very frowned upon and you had to look for these signs and these symbols to see if you know similarly people were interested in the same way that you were and I think the, the flamingo is a big emblem of that. Just to get anybody who's interested in same-sex relationships will go straight to that book and think <laughs> that's what I want, flamingo. <laughs> Maybe, I mean that's, that's, a, that's, that's a good thought. What about you Christina? I actually wondered whether it was Eve. Um, I, I think the fact that flamingos migrate and Eve tends to fly off quite a lot with Daniel in tow made me wonder whether you know it was a symbol of her flitting you know not staying in one place for a very long time but equally I'm quite persuaded by it being Sherry as well mm. um, because she is quite a flamboyant character I think um, in the book so I can see how it fits with her and I guess you know this is another one of Rachel Elliott's little little sort of things that she doesn't really answer I think there's several things in the book that as we read it that we may have liked to have known more about I'm yeah. certainly come to the discussion about that in a yeah. minute but there were certainly things that I think oh I wish I'd known more about this or that was there a favorite character that you had when you were reading the books yeah my favorite character was Eve um I don't want to um say too much um because her character really uh develops throughout but for me, even though Daniel on the book begins the narration and also you, you see Ray, who is Sherry's daughter, um, when we, we pick up in the family in the modern day. Um, for me, it was Eve's life that I wanted to know more about, um, possibly because of this nomadic lifestyle and because she has so many different lives and she goes so many places, does so many things with her life that uh, for me, I wanted to know lots more about what happens with her. That's kind of glossed yeah. over, I think, towards the end of the book. Definitely a lot of unanswered questions there, I think, about Eve. And, and before, who was the dad of Daniel? We, we never find right. out who. Um, so that, that I would have liked to have known how that came about. You know, um, she was very young when she got pregnant. So, you know, was it just, you know, a guy she met at school or whatever? I, I just needed to know a bit more about Daniel's dad. What about you, James? Did you have a favourite character? Well, it's a, yeah, it's an interesting question, really, because um, thinking about it, <laughs> while Zoe was answering the question. Funnily enough, none of the characters really have anything really idiosyncratic about them in a way. None of them have any kind of sayings or, I mean, okay, Eve is interested in the collective nouns for birds. We know that. It's, it's hard. It's one of the, one of the authors 
things really again she doesn't but I, her her mother actually was one of the characters who was incredibly on the edge and um she's just wheeled in just to prove to us readers that Eve was banished from home and she became a mo nomad because of her parents being so unsympathetic to her and so in some ways the mother is almost like a kind of comedy villain which you would say mm -hmm. well I quite like that um, but again, I'd have to agree with Zoe. There's only one real character who you can latch onto, and that has to be Eve. Mm. Eve, my favourite too. So the book jumps, doesn't it, between the 80s and 2018, and drops in and out of their combined lives, and and the narrative does pick up some pace. I think as we go through the book, we start to understand what happened in that summer. I know it's hard not to give too much away, <laughs> to give too many spoilers away. But were you surprised at what happened in that summer? Did you see it coming? Did you see the affair? We won't go into who it was with. Yes, I did. Um, I don't know, for me, uh, reading sort of the blurb material and kind of reading between the lines in some of Daniel's passages, to me, it seemed obvious, but mm. I'm not sure what other people think. Actually, if you read the back of the book, it does give it away. In fact, right. I don't know why I'm so secretive. It does you a little bit. <laughs> what happened, because it actually does say, doesn't it? It does give yeah. it away, the fact that, you know, Sherry also loves Eve. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, we've done it now, listeners. You, you know, it is out there. Spoiler. It, um, yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, I mean, did you see it coming, James? Was it, was it no, a surprise? No, I, I, I didn't see it coming. I, I didn't really feel that um, they'd been, there'd been any kind of, suggestion that they were getting together in that way although I might have completely missed it there might have been loads of little trailers that we were given it, it, it did come as a surprise because the main thrust of the story is this kind of the way that as a group when they moved in next door to this family how well they got on in comparison yeah. to how they weren't really having a great time when they weren't in cahoots with this family and so it was all about the kind of relationships indoors things that they did, how the father was getting on with the young boy, how the, you know, the two girls were having a great time together. I didn't really feel that, um, you know, when, when they jumped into bed together, I didn't think, oh, I, I knew that was going to happen. Unlike Zoe, who's probably mm. got more of a feel for it. I don't know. I know I didn't see it coming. I, I was kind of uncomfortable with it. I don't think it, it changed anything much or spoiled anything. I think the story is almost independent of the fact that it was a lesbian relationship myself. Mm. And it was clear, wasn't it? Because obviously the thing that surprised me was not so much about the affair between Evan and Sherry, but it was actually the fact that Sherry suddenly arrives pregnant um, with twins. Yeah. You know, and you think, well, you know, that obviously what's happening there is that she's still in a sexual relationship with her husband, Leslie, mm -hmm. um, whilst also conducting an affair with Eve. And it's obviously that bit that breaks the two up, isn't it? Eve and Sherry's relationship gets exploded by the fact that Sherry suddenly turns out to be pregnant. Eve, understandably, decides, you know, she can't hack that any longer. She's got to run again. She's got to go. Um, and 
Yeah, I, I didn't. I did not see that coming. That no, bit. Just, I didn't either. I must say, you know, I think it's really heavily insinuated that Leslie, the husband, he's about 15 years older than Sherry. And there seems to be a real generation gap, but particularly as they age, Sherry very mm. much wants to go walking out and about with her Fitbit. And it seems as if Leslie's almost another generation ahead again. So they seem mismatched from the start. And then, like you say, this pregnancy happens. So, yeah, that was a real bombshell for me anyway. And, and especially that they were twins. I don't, <laughs> don't know why that was such a surprise. But they were all pretty kind people in this book, I, I felt, choosing kindness or what they thought was being kind as a way of bonding, creating safety within this kind of two families thing that they had going on. But the lies that they were telling each other or the secrets that they were keeping from each other in order to, I suppose, to keep certain people safe within those families led to this huge fallout in the end didn't it so would it have been better do you think if they'd been honest about what was going on did you feel that leslie knew that his wife was having an affair with eve i don't think he he particularly probably knew i mean he might have done but the author didn't really give us any clues that he was thinking that the big falling out i thought was was to do with eve herself the the, the nomadic eve who was probably looking for any excuse that she possibly could to leave at that point, because she'd probably stayed there longer than she'd ever stayed at any place before. It could have been anything that made her move on. I mean, the, the author doesn't actually give us any examples of the previous place she lived and why they had to, well, they say that mm. someone else wanted the house is the reason she gave. But no, I, I, I don't think it was the lesbian relationship myself. I just think that, that you know, like, like the character that we've said she is, she was going to move on and this was just the way that she did on this case. Oh, I don't agree at all. I think she was really heartbroken. If you look at the age where Eve is in the novel, I was really surprised to find out that at the time of the 80s part of the novel, um, when all of this action happens, um, sort of in the early 80s, she's in her early 20s. Um, like you say, Christina, she has Daniel really young. She's a teenage mum. So by the time all of this stuff is happening and we don't know much about Eve's backstory, but presuming that she is lesbian and is only attracted to women sherry really is the first big love of her life um she's come from quite an abusive family almost pantomime so as, as you say james but for me seeing eve move about so much isn't because it, it's done out of whimsy or carelessness but more the fact that she is absolutely terrified that her parents will discover her and take daniel away as, as they threaten to do not, not quite sure how that all managed to work itself out. I think that bit's a, a bit incredible. But I do see her as someone who's been abused and is just terrified of being ever trapped in that scenario again. We have heard of Auntie Fig, haven't we? Mm. Who mm. was possibly um, a, another lesbian contact. We don't actually know. We weren't, we weren't told too much, but I thought she might have been. I'm not so sure that this was the greatest relationship of her life, but I, but I respect your opinion. The impression I got by the end of the book was that, you know, she we had that scene early on where she was putting a pin in the map as if it was something that she did every couple of months to decide where to move to next. And um, we already had this pattern, you know, of, of her moving from place to place. And it may have been Sherry's uh, love of her life, um, but I, and this was the whole point. I think Eve is this character who's as cold as ice, in fact and just goes and suddenly there she is in some other country with a with another lesbian wife and um that's that's really the point of the book 
It begs the question, doesn't it, as well, you know, until that relationship with Sherry, she may not have been totally aware of where her sexuality lay. Because obviously she had had a relationship with a lad, a a man, you know, who we don't know about in in order to have got pregnant. So, you know, that may have been her her realisation that she was lesbian and you know and and then she goes on to continue to have relationships with women but again we don't really know um so we're all filling in the blanks ourselves a little bit here if you were daniel would you have been really angry at your mum for the cost to him of that move away at the end of that summer well i think was triggered by her not being able to cope with sherry and the fact that Sherry was going to have babies and so it was all going to change. Would you be angry? I think I would have been if I was Daniel. I felt very sorry for him. You know, when he was in the car and they were driving away and he was so upset, he desperately wanted to stay because it was the first place he, I think he'd felt really happy. He was six years old. It's difficult for us all to cast our minds back to when we were six. But I, I don't think you do have any long-term disagreements with your parents. I mean, you can be angry with them because they didn't buy you any sweets or because they won't give you a lift to school or something. But if they say, right, we've got to move everybody, you tend to just move, you know. And if you get annoyed about it, it's later in life when you're 40 that you tend to think, I'm really angry about that. I now realise that those people were the people that I really loved. My parents used to move me around every year on a regular basis. And um, I don't remember ever having it out with them and saying, what is going on? I'm going to have to move schools again. I just thought, oh, well, moving schools again. And that was it, really. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he is at this point in his life when we meet him in the book. Now he's 40. Mm. You know, looking back on that summer and those people that he felt very bonded to. And that's why he wants to go back there and retrieve the feelings that he had of safety and comfort and being in a lovely family, yeah. you know, and that's why he goes back there when he's 40. Would you agree, Zoe? Do you think that's that's why he heads back to Norfolk? Yeah, I, I'm really interested by James's take on it, actually. I think that he's almost maybe even lashing out much, much more into the future. So Daniel doesn't need to be homeless. This is the crux of what irritated me at the beginning of the novel. He he doesn't need to be homeless, but psychologically, he's clearly needing to cast himself out, get rid of all of his possessions. He has a very extreme reaction to the end of his um, relationship with his current girlfriend and, you know, sort of mm. told to, to move on and, and out of the house. He's almost punishing himself by becoming homeless, which is something... I wasn't quite sure how to interpret or how to handle. And and now I think about it more that, that we're in the discussion for this podcast. I'm wondering why, okay, I can understand if Eve felt that she couldn't um, emotionally cope with seeing Sherry and Leslie together and, and knowing that they're still very much a couple and, and they're still sexually active and that they're growing their family. But I don't understand why she couldn't have perhaps written to Leslie or to Ray. You know, it's the 80s. It's, it's not the 1800s. Why couldn't <laughs> some line of communication been kept open for Daniel to kind of help with the sadness he clearly felt and having to move away? I think this is the the character that Rachel Elliott, this is really the character that she quite successfully weaves, isn't it? And and it's weird the way that she doesn't tell us very much about Eve at all, really. You read the book, you listen to the book, and it's perfectly normal. Everything seems fine. You 
you, you're enjoying it. But then suddenly when you think to yourself, what does she look like or what is she like or what has she done in her past? You, you suddenly find you've got no evidence at all. And um, I don't know if that's part of the character that she really wanted to create, if she was really saying to us, nobody knows who this person is, um, or whether she felt that by not telling us who she was, that it would help the mystique of her or something. I think the book is quite a lovely study, really, of the stories that we tell ourselves to convince ourselves that our actions are right and that we're doing the right thing. And, and that's that, that we see is what we know. And it's also, I think, a rather sweet story of redemption towards the end of the book. There's redemption in this for Daniel. There's maybe some redemption coming at the end as well for Eve because she presents herself back right at the end of the book. In, in the UK, having come from America, and, and just understanding that sometimes the huge things that we hope for, but we're not ready to try for, they just can wait for us to be ready to try them. And I think um, with Daniel, that is very much the case. I think it's almost like the homeless, homelessness part to me was symbolic of the fact that he feels within his mind that he is homeless. He has no secure place anymore and that's why he goes back to Norfolk because that's the last memory he has of a place where he felt really secure and it was only for a very short period of time and he's trying to go back there he's, he's trying to recreate the feeling that he had when he was a child and I guess I can understand that I can I can you know I can get on board with some of that I also agree with you, James, and, and with you, Zoe, that he didn't need to make himself homeless. He did have some money. Um, he was able to go and buy food. He was able to buy a train ticket to get to Norfolk. And he was only homeless for about a week, I think, wasn't it? Something like yeah. that in the book, where he slept on benches and someone came along and peed on him. And do you feel that the homelessness part of the book needed to be in there? Or could it equally have been fine? Without yeah, that. I think absolutely. Um, absolutely. It didn't need to be in there or to that level of extreme. Mm. Something that I found interesting whilst I was preparing for the podcast is I didn't realise that Rachel Elliott um, has also worked as a psychotherapist. And I wondered mm. if she was using this very elaborate metaphor of homelessness, exactly as you described, Christina, to sort of show how put out he feels how insecure how out of the psyche and out of comfort he feels but yeah that that's one of the things that I disliked about the book definitely she wanted to create this the whole idea of this book when she sat down and thought the idea up one night was that they've got to come back to these people that they had these halcyon days with and so yes. she, has to, she has to create a kind of need to come back you know if he's happily living with a girlfriend, then he's not going to just walk out of the house one night and go back to the people that he used to live next door right. to when he was six. So she's got to think of some device, hasn't she? She's got to build up this, this want of getting back. So I think maybe making him homeless was a device to show. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, he, he splits up with his girlfriend and he's completely in despair. She, you know, he's got no idea. He's obviously a guy who doesn't know how to cook meals and um so he just goes on the road like a like a homeless guy we can understand why he came back to stay with these people he used to live next door to when he was six and the whole thing runs in exactly the way the author wanted to but it, she's very good at this homeless thing this is what we were saying earlier on she's wonderful at 
describing somebody who's at their wits end with no money and nobody loves them and they've got nothing and you know she'll describe some little conversation with a bus driver getting onto a bus or whatever and you really do feel it you feel desperate for this guy at that point and mainly through her good writing it wasn't really about homelessness though was it Christine? No I don't think so not really I mean getting towards the ending of the book when you got there did you feel satisfied was there a happy ever after feeling for you or was that left kind of unresolved? Well, since we're talking about it, I'm going to say no. This is so I really, as I said, felt very engrossed in the book. I, I couldn't put it down. I, I needed to know what happened to all of these characters. And by the time I got to the end, I had one massive question, which is what on earth happened to Leslie? Justice for <laughs> Leslie. He, he, he appears not to know that his wife's had at least one affair throughout their marriage. And I was really hoping that that would come to light. And it never did. And that was very unsatisfying. No, it's true. That's, that's a good point. There were, there were other characters who you didn't really find out much about as well. There were these two twins, weren't there? Mm. They were very comical, you know, caricature, these rough and butch twins that set people on <laughs> fire and ruined parties. And then yes. there was another daughter in the family we know nothing about. Pauline. And I, I mean, I actually felt, and I don't, this is, this could be completely wrong, that actually Leslie did sort of know what was, what Sherry was like and did know that she was likely to go off and have affairs. And I felt that he tolerated it um, because he knew there was quite a big age gap between them. And I think it wasn't probably the first time for Sherry that yeah, she that may makes have sense. done. Um, I think he just let things go. I think he thought, yeah, well, there's this 15 year age gap. Maybe, you know, I'm not going to be up to keeping up with Sherry because clearly he wasn't in lots of ways. I think he just let it go, you know, and, and probably, you know, he was fine about it. Yeah. The whole household was welcoming and um, apparently they were still welcoming 40 years later or 35 years <laughs> later, which was kind of weird that they hadn't found some other family next door. You would have thought with their kind of welcoming <laughs> that whoever moved in next door next would have been there with them, sitting in the bath, sitting in their bed, going out <laughs> shopping with them. But no, they were just there waiting for the people who'd been there 35 years before. But they were welcoming. And uh, somebody like that, exactly as you say, Christina, someone like that would um, probably not want to make a big point of the fact that his wife might have slept with another woman. He might, you know, just be sort of one of these easygoing, fairly tolerant sort of guys. I'll just um, the living room instead. Yes. I'll just take the um, boy swimming. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did. That's what he took Daniel swimming. I mean, he loved Daniel, didn't he? Didn't he? And Daniel loved him. But um, I do think that at the end of the book, it seemed to be pointing to me in the direction that Daniel and Ray were getting together. I don't know whether you yeah. thought that too. Um, that, that he was probably going to marry her. And actually, there is a bit in the book which kind of signposts that. It's on page 252 for anybody out there who's got a book in front of them. Being, he's dressed in a suit, and it talks about the suit at his wedding, the suit at a really sad occasion. Oh, it's yeah. the same suit. And actually, that to me was a signpost to he's going to marry Ray, you know, at the end of the book. Um, although, you know, it wasn't so it wasn't explicit but I think that's what's going to happen and the fact that Eve returned I think she was going to make her peace with Daniel again because clearly they'd fallen out and they don't hadn't been speaking to each other um so I think things were going to be resolved so that was quite nice 
Would you recommend this book for a book club read? Absolutely. Uh, I, I didn't have any negative thoughts about it at all. Like I said, it's not an absolute epic. And I read it about three weeks ago and I'm beginning to struggle to remember everything that I read now already. All the same, I really enjoyed it. You know, as Zoe said, it was a bit slow at the beginning. You know, um, usually a book's slow at the beginning. You've got to kind of wait to get the feeling yes. of the atmosphere and the characters before before you kind of leap off the precipice and you're just sailing with, the, with, with whatever's going on. But it certainly did that. You know, I certainly spent whole periods just not even noticing the time and thinking about the way she was writing and, and the lovely atmosphere. There was a beautiful few pages written about Christmas in 1984 and how the family all got together at Christmas. Again, yes. the, the whole scene where Daniel has split up with his girlfriend and he's making his way like as a homeless down and out, that, that whole thing goes really well. When, when he reaches there and finds them all welcoming, that's a lovely moment as well. And when he gets together with Ray, I mean, there was some great stuff in there. And um, anyone who likes a kind of feel-good book, that would be a fool not to give this a try. I would definitely recommend it to a book club. Um, just as something, maybe a bit of a palate cleanser, because mm -hmm. it is light, it is fun. There are some darker themes, you know, as we've discussed in the podcast, potentially parental abuse, homelessness, depression, but it's all dealt with in a way that you feel rejuvenated after reading it. You feel that there is hope for these characters and in that way it's a nice almost little holiday. I'd recommend it as a holiday read for sure. And you learn about yeah. all these collective nouns of birds as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> two for the price of one. Does anyone remember what the collective noun for ravens is? Unkindness. I can hardly believe. I'm sure the ravens wouldn't agree. But on that note, thank you guys for coming along and joining me in the podcast again tonight. Um, and thank you out there, you listeners, for listening in again. We will be back in about another month's time with yet another podcast. I can't tell you what it's going to be about yet, but we will be here. So in the meantime, keep well and keep reading. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Gloucester Book Club's podcasts. You can find us on Spotify, Anchor FM, Google and Apple Podcasts and many more. We look forward to having you join us again soon.